0: You're listening to the Harborside Church podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. And to open up the Word, I don't take it lightly at all that uh, I get the privilege and the honour. Uh, it's a little ridiculous that I do that that I get to open up God's living Word, and so. Um, before I do that, I'm going to pray um, again, uh, and this may, that may be unusual, uh, maybe for a lot of us. I'm not sure if you're new or if you've been here from, from day one. Uh, it's my first time here, so uh, I'm going to pray, and then we will get right into it. Uh, Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you that you haven't left us. We thank you that you are with us, and that even more than that, you are for us. Uh, we thank you that you have not abandoned us, that you are with us, always, even to the end of the age. And so now I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help me to forget the things that I prepared that are not going to be helpful for your people this morning, and that you would help me to remember the things that will build up your church, and that those who are here who may be um, uh, not not sure about this Jesus guy, may you draw them, Holy Spirit. May you draw them now in your power for your grace, uh, by your grace, and for the name of Jesus we pray, amen, and amen. Amen. Now, there are a few things uh, that are more important than presence in the world. Now, I'm not talking about presence. If, if there are kids here, or, or if your anniversary is coming up, or if your birthday is, is around the corner, that's not what I'm talking about. That, that's important. But what I mean is presence. And in, in the important moments of our lives, whether they're births or deaths or trauma, presence is incredibly, incredibly important. We had some friends uh, just last week who gave birth to a beautiful little boy. Uh, Spencer, and um, we're just yearning as friends who love them to just be with them, to, to see them, and, and to be able to give that baby back when you're done, and, uh, which is great. But to be with someone is incredibly important, particularly when there are times of suffering. Presence is a source of joy and life, particularly through periods of darkness. I remember a couple years ago, I went and visited home, like back home, this is home, but I went, I went back home to New York, and uh, my little girl Evangeline, she was about 10 months at the time, and she was, she was actually battling with pneumonia as well, uh, and in hospital, and, and just the, the heartache of not being able to be present with my wife Catherine and with Evangeline while they were suffering in, in hospital while I'm in New York, you know, um, in, enjoying that it was difficult. It, it, it's hard to be apart from things and people that you love particularly in times of suffering, particularly in times of darkness. And the story of the Scriptures is this, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with, with the Bible, and maybe this is the first time you're, you're opening this up, but it is, can be summed up as a story of presence. Scott, Scott McKnight, uh, a New Testament theologian, says this, that uh, the story of the Bible can be summed up as a story of the witness of God. I love that. The story of the witness. of God. Of God, And yet, in light of that reality, from Genesis to Revelation, we find a God that is continually yearning to be with his people. But we don't feel that a lot of the time. We don't feel that God is with us. Maybe there are some of you here suffering uh, with mental health issues or, 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 or circumstantial uh, 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 issues that, that are making you really feel that God has abandoned you in the pit. And so if the story of God is about a God who wants to be with his people, our text is a troubling text. John 16, 7, again, Jesus says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And I want you to put your, 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 yourself in the place of the disciples that were with him. Now, at this point, Uh, They were with him for about two and a half years, looking at three years. They walked with him. They talked with him. They learned from him. They wrestled with him. They they were embarrassed by him, right? Do you remember that? Get behind me, Satan deal. Like, Like, you know, Jesus was with them. He was teaching them. This was God incarnate. They were thinking maybe now is the time where Jesus will overthrow the Roman occupation and the kingdom of God will come. This is it. We're, we're getting close. We can feel it. It's palpable. And then he drops this bomb on them. I have to go. It's almost like a lame breakup. I don't know if you've been on either end of that of, hey, it's not, it's not you. It's me. And I actually did that. I, I, w- I was on that side. I remember uh, my wife and I were long distance for several years. So she was here in Australia. I was in New York. And... Uh, I sort of called her up a couple hours before I was supposed to fly <laughs> This is terrible. I've grown. And, um, and I said, yeah, you know, it's not you, it's me. Kind of, dro- you know, dropping this bomb. And I can imagine the, the disciples feeling this sort of wrecking ball to the gut. Like, what do you mean you're going to go? H- how is that good for us? And I would venture to think that in a room of this size, if you were to be asked... What would you prefer? Would you prefer Jesus by the Holy Spirit in you, living, dwelling in you, or do you prefer Jesus next to you, to see him, to touch him, to eat with him, to travel with him? I would venture to say that most of us, if not all of us, would say, yeah, I'll take that one. I'll take Jesus with me versus Jesus by the Spirit in me. Especially in our age of of touch and palpability, we we yearn for that. How is this good news? How is it good news that Jesus goes? Dale Bruner, another uh, theologian, translates uh, this verse like this. The best thing that could ever happen to you, Jesus says, is for me to go away. The best thing. Think about that. Just think about that. Galatians 4.4 says that at the fullness of time, God in Christ, he was incarnate. At the fullness of time, all of history was moving towards the manger. And now it's better that I go? How can that be good news? How can that be good news? And so I want to take you on a little tour. of. God's presence throughout the scriptures, and it begins in the beginning. I don't know if some of you know this, but the Bible doesn't start in Genesis 3 with the fall. It starts in Genesis 1 with a good creation. And in the beginning, God creates Adam and Eve, and he plants a garden in Eden. And he puts them in there to work and to tend that and to mediate his presence to the world. They were to take care of the world. They were to tend the world. They were to organize the natural creation in such a way that it would help them to flourish and it would help the rest of the world know who God is. But humanity was not content to just do that for God and by God they were hungry to be God. There's an interesting uh, 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 verse in Genesis 2, where it says that God would walk with them in the cool of the day. Like, he didn't come, you know, at noon when it was hot. came around three, four o'clock. And it was, it, this was just a perpetual, regular thing that God did with his people. He was with them. He walked with them. He talked with them. He was with them. But they weren't content with that. They needed to be God. They needed to uh, uh, um, uh, create their own uh, morality and standard and way of being. And they believed the lie of the serpent. And so then we often know the story quite well if we've been in church for any time that they were kicked out of the garden. They were exiled. They went east of Eden. And then what we find in Genesis 4 to 11 is just this deep and dark Descent of chaos and damage and abuse. The first time you hear about a man who has multiple wives is this guy called Lamech, uh, who's quite proud. He he's quite a violent man, and you see just this deep, deep and dark descent of evil and chaos and murder and abuse and everything that's contrary to God's good creation. And at this point, we can think, this this is it. This this is over. And, And there's a bit of hope at the end of Genesis 11. In Genesis 12, God calls this pagan called Abram. He calls him out of his people. He says, I'm going to send you to a place. You haven't been there before. I'm going to send you there. You're going to go. And one day, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Huge story that happens in Genesis. What happens at the end of Genesis is that his great-great-grandson, Joseph, ends up in uh, his great-great-great-grandson, Joseph ends up in Egypt, becomes a prime minister, as it were, of Egypt. About 75 people, they go in, he, he, he becomes quite, makes a name for himself, as it were, and they grow into a multitude of people, and they become slaves in that land, the Egyptians Uh, 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 enslaved them for 400 years, and God raises up Moses and tells him, go, go, you need to worship, you're going to call, I'm going to use you now to call my people back, because what? I need to be with them, I want to be with them, so he gives them the tabernacle, the tabernacle, he gives them the tabernacle, this sort of mobile uh, meeting place, whereas the Israelites were wandering in the desert for 40 years, think about that, like, I, I'm like, I, I got to travel how long to get up here, right, from 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 Bankstown? Like, this is crazy. And for 40 years, they were walking in the desert. Their shoes were not getting worn out. They would be fed by, uh, by manna from heaven and, and quail that God would send. For 40 years, think about the bump in and bump out of a service, right? That's crazy. They would have to erect this incredible tabernacle. My church, Anchor Church, we, uh, we meet at the factory theater, uh, and oftentimes uh, we can't meet there, so we'll, they'll send us to the factory, uh, to, the, uh, to the Enmore Theater where we are today, or we'll end up at the metro in the city, and bump in and bump out could be quite arduous, right? We need to wake up at 5 a.m., go grab a get, go to the factory, load up all our gear, get to the new place, right? That's, that's intense. Now, imagine erecting a tabernacle for 40 years, over and over again. But the point is this, that God wanted to be with his people. And he even created this mobile temple, as it were, to travel with them. Why? He wanted to be with his people. Deuteronomy 4.7 says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as Yahweh our God is to us, as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? But God wasn't content. He wasn't content with that just yet. He calls Joshua to enter into the land. And after hundreds of years, he calls uh, uh, David and his son Solomon to build him a temple. To build him a temple. And this was a sign of God's stability with his people that there was to be a place on earth that would overlap heaven and earth where God would meet with his people. I'm not going anywhere, God says. I am here with you. I'm with you. And it's interesting that when, when, when you read how the temple looked, how it was constructed, uh, there, were, there, were, uh, there was tons of imagery of trees and botany and, and light. There was the, the, the menorah, as it were, right? And, and there, there were trees all lined up. This was to be a, a microcosm, as it were, of Eden, the place where God would meet with his people. I'm with you. You're no longer going to be moving around. I am here with you. And we know the story Israel is exiled because of their sin, because of their oppression of the poor, because of their uh, lack of uh, uh, integration between heart and action, they're sent out into exile. The Assyrians come in in the 8th century. They decimate northern Israel, as it were. The Babylonians come in and decimate southern Israel, Jerusalem, and they're sent out into exile. And see, what we need to understand at that point is the way that the ancient Near Eastern people thought, was that uh, gods were local. And so if you were in a particular space, you were under the jurisdiction of a particular god. And so now what people are thinking is, and the surrounding nations, is Yahweh, God, their god, has exiled them. We have won they no longer have a God. they can't call on him. He is no longer there for them. He has kicked them out of the land. But we have Ezekiel coming along and giving us a picture that God is not God is not subject to boundary, geographic, national, ethnic. He is not subject to boundary, that God would give his people a new heart. Joel, another prophet throughout the exile, talks about this uh, spirit that God is going to pour upon his people. Jeremiah says, I am with you to save you, Jeremiah 29, a says. God, even as his people were sent into exile, he is with them. And what we need to hear this morning is that God is committed to be with his people. Exile, sin, idolatry, the very things that God said, this is why I'm kicking you out of the land that I gave you, even that is not going to stop me from being with you. So we have garden, we have a tabernacle, we have temple, what I call temple 1.0. We have the exile where even God chases his people there. And then the people come back. They come back into the land. They, they, uh, uh, they erect a second temple, Temple 2.0. And yet it is not, it doesn't capture what they thought it would. The glory of God, the Shekinah, as it were, didn't return like they thought. And John writes this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so you go from the garden to the tabernacle, temple 1.0, exile, temple 2.0, and then God is with us. And this word, dwelt, is incredibly important because how you can translate that is that God in Christ tabernacled with us, tabernacled with us. And so this imagery in the Old Testament where God gave uh, Moses a plan for a mobile temple as it were is now Jesus in the flesh. That Jesus is God with us in the flesh. How could he ever say that it is better that I'm not here? How Does this pave the way to understand the enigma of John 16, 7, where he says, my absence will pave the way for another and deeper dimension of my presence. It's because he has given us the advocate, the Holy Spirit to be not only next to us, with us, but in us. And we discount that in so many ways. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 3, he's more saying, yous are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he's using you as a plural. Yous are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And You need to hear that as a community of people that are gathering under the lordship of Jesus Christ, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 6, he goes to the singular, you, yourself, you people, you, the singular, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so as it were, where God is not just walking with us, he is not just walking alongside us, he is not just flesh and bone with us, but he is living inside of us. That's the only reason why Jesus can say, it is better for you that I go, because then I can send the Spirit. He is with you. But the story doesn't end there. All right, so I'm going to turn to Revelation. Revelation 21 says this. Then I saw a new heaven. So let me, let me, just, let, let me just frame this for you real quick. Uh, so this is uh, John, um, uh, Jesus' best friend, who has been exiled to the, to the island of Patmos, and he is having visions, encounters with the living Christ. He um, is giving us a picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus in our age. So I don't want us to think about Revelation as just something that's coming, this part is, but Revelation itself is really a manual, as it were, of discipleship for our age today. But he ends, he ends like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, listen, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall thou be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. And so this idea that we have, adopted this idea that we've been taught that somehow the end of our story, the end of your story, the end of this world is that somehow the goal is for God to take us out of this world. That somehow we have been taught and learned that the the goal of Christianity, the goal of, of me inviting you to come to Jesus is so that you can escape the world. That is not where this scripture ends. This scripture ends with an embodied reality, with resurrected bodies, perfect. Like, how many of us are just, I mean, maybe some of us have a piece of the pie now. I don't. I'm waiting, right, for the resurrection. I'm waiting for the resurrection. Where we will receive new bodies and new minds. And we will once again walk this earth, not a different one. That we will walk this earth, mossman. Will there be a mossman? Maybe. It's hard to think not, right? We will walk this earth that will be renewed from top to bottom with new bodies. The kind of bodies. Check this out. When Jesus was resurrected, this is the kind of body we're, we're going to have. Freaky, where where his boys, you know, the disciples were were fearful. They were scared. They were behind locked doors, and Jesus would just appear. Like, what up? I'm here. Doors locked. You know, they'd be afraid, right? We'd be afraid. Anyone would be afraid. And then Jesus, do not fear. I'm like, what do you mean, do not fear? Like, you you just walk through walls. And yet, Jesus can say, touch me. See that a ghost does not have, a ghost doesn't have hands an apparition, right? This idea that we kind of escape the flesh is not biblical. He can sit down and have a fish breakfast with his boys on the beach in Hawaii and walk through walls. I don't know what that looks like, but I do know that the scriptures do not end with us escaping this world, but it ends with God entering this world and renewing creation and being with us. Some of the implications of this is that you are never alone. It may feel that you are alone. There's an epidemic of loneliness in our world today, so much so. I think it was 2012, Theresa May in the U.K. um, uh, instilled a a minister for loneliness. A minister for loneliness. And loneliness can have, uh, uh, I can't remember what what the exact stat was here, but loneliness can have the effect of uh, long-term smoking, on your health, incredibly poor eating in the long run. Loneliness is an epidemic in our world. And you need to remember, you are not alone. Jesus has promised that when you submit your life to him, when you come up under the lordship of Jesus, it isn't just a mental ascent. It isn't just something that operates in your mind. We have, oh, something that I'm passionate about is, is, is anthropology. What, what does it look like to be human? What is a human? And often we think that a human is sort of like a brain on a stick, where, where all of our experiences, you know, everything that we are, everything that we think is just, is just up here. Jesus says, I, I didn't just give you some ideas to follow. Doctrine, theology, incredibly important. I spent eight years, right, studying it. You know, Dave spent six years. It's incredibly important. These things are important, but it doesn't just live up here. Jesus says, I am with you. As real as the person sitting next to you right now is Jesus with you by the Holy Spirit. You are never alone. Another implication of this is that we can become like Christ. We have the opportunity now. We have the invitation of Jesus to become like him because we have the spirit of Christ in us. Like the, act, you know, listen, Psalm 33 says that God, and and this isn't a a text on cosmology as it were, uh, but Psalm 33 says that God opens his mouth and stars come out. Like I looked at the, the, the weather for today, 28, I'm, str- I'm, I'm already struggling with the idea of 28. Like, that's just hot, right? And, and, and the sun is one of the smallest stars that we know of. And it says that God opens his mouth and stars come out. It's that God, not another, who is with you, who is in you, who is animating you. It's that God who is with you. Colossians 1 talks about this great mystery that is revealed. And what is that great mystery? The great mystery hidden for ages but revealed to us, who are living in in, in the age of the Spirit, as it were, who are living post-Cross, post-Pentecost, is this. The mystery is Christ in us. And it's only possible because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And more so what he did in his baptism. So often we, we focus on the cross, and that is a right thing. I, I, I don't want to assume the cross. I don't want to relegate the cross. But Jesus' entire life is needed for us, for us to enter into this life. I always wondered, I went, so I went to Israel uh, last year on a, on a study tour, and one of the places that we had to go to uh, was uh, the Jordan River. Now, things have changed over 2,000 years, obviously, uh, there, there, flooding and, and dryness and, and things like that. Uh, but the Jordan River, why I loved it so very much was because it was so incredibly unassuming. So unassuming. I mean, so I'm standing in, um, in Israel and, and about to where the door is, that's Jordan. And, and the river's there, it's muddy, it's dirty. I thought, how, how could God descend into such a normal place? And that's the point. That's the point, that God enters into the normal places. But I've always wondered, why is it that he went to John, his cousin, John the Baptist, the, the weird one, right, ate locusts, wild honey, wore a belt of hair. Why is it that he went to go get baptized for the remission of sins? That's what, that's what John was doing. John was baptizing the, 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 the people of Israel to prepare them for the coming of Yahweh. Why is it that 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 Jesus did that? He he had no sin. He he had no guilt. He had no shame. He 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 had no. He he was perfect. He was perfect morally, spiritually. I mean, everything about him, right? Like it would have been frustrating to be his little brother. Like something breaks. Like you know, Jesus is not gonna lie. You know, it's like okay, yeah, I did it. Perfection in every way. Perfection personified. Jesus is. why did he have to go into the dirty waters of the Jordan to be baptized? It was so that he can identify with us. So that when he comes out of the Jordan and he hears this voice that says, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, you can identify with him. That is the only way that the spirit can live in us. That is the only way as we accept Jesus into our life, or rather have Jesus overtake our life, invade us as it were. That is the only possible way that this perfect spirit of God can live within imperfect, broken, sinful people. The fact that as Jesus identified with our sin in the dirty waters of the Jordan, we can identify with him in his glory as he hears this booming voice of acceptance and love from the heavens. You're never alone. You can become like Christ, and you have power. And so two things I want to end with is, how do I access this life in the Spirit? Okay, it's great that... That's all fine. Jesus wants to be with us. The whole story of the Bible is about the witness of God. That's great. How is it that I can make myself available to this? And I'm going to say nothing revolutionary. Be with him through prayer. Prayer is the place where we can be still and encounter the risen Jesus. And community, we, we've already heard about that. You can find community uh, on the beach. You can find community here. In Mossman, you can, and so I encourage you, even if you're not a part of this church just yet, and you can take that very next best step for you and fill out that Connect card and be involved and have yourself known. There's this ache in every single one of us to be seen, to be known, to be looked at in the face and say, you're loved. You know, Jesus, when, when he died on the cross, Hebrews, Hebrews uh, talks about this joy that was set before him. He despised the shame of the cross. Why? Because of the joy set before him. And I was thinking, what is that? What, what, what joy was before Jesus? I mean, he had a perfect relationship with the Father. He, he, he lived in this sort of heavenly, re- like, what What was Jesus lacking in that sense, in in any sense? That he gained something by despising the shame of the cross. That he, he, for the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. And that is his people, that is his bride, that is you. And you need to hear those words from Matthew 3. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. That needs to be so real to you. That needs to be the loudest voice because let me tell you, by living, we are being formed into something. We are being discipled by someone or something. It's not an, it, you don't have a choice, right, of whether you will become a disciple or not. That, that's not a choice left up to you. The only choice left up to you is whose disciple will you be? And if you are going to follow in the way of Jesus in this city, in this town, this neighborhood, then that needs to be the loudest voice in your heart. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. It's a prayer community, not giving up on the spiritual disciplines of fasting and secrecy and silence and solitude. And sometimes I can feel like we're working for this, like, oh, hold on, like, isn't that work's righteousness? Doesn't that mean that I have to contribute to something? And Dallas Willard has a word for us. He says this, grace is not opposed to effort, right? Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. And each and every single one of us are called to partner with God as he forms Christ in us. I want to read to you this one, one, one last thing, and then I'm, I'm going to close. I think I'm going over time. That's all right. I'm not here next week. You can't, you can't be mad at me. Blame Dave. 2 Peter. 2 Peter says this. 2 Peter 1, 3, 8. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us To his own glory and excellence. You get that? His divine power has granted to us all things, not some things, not 99% of things. He has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. I love this. So that through them, through the promises that he's given us, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We're we're good with that. God's given us everything for godliness, for hope, for for being a community, for engaging in this world. And then verse 5. For this very reason. Okay? So for this very reason. Because God has given you all things, he says. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And he goes on, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self control, self control with steadfastness. And so, this idea that uh, we are not, that we're called to sort of be passive in our relationship with Jesus is, is not at all birthed from the gospel, it's not at all birthed from the scriptures. We're called to partner with God in this life of the Spirit. And so, I want to remind you, church, friends, that He's with you. I, I don't know what, what's happening in your life right now. I don't know what darkness you are facing. I don't know what addictions you are facing. But 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 you know we're, we're not all. None of us are above the necessary word, the necessary reminder that God is with you, and He is with you because Jesus identified with us in our sin, and He's given us the opportunity to identify with Him in His glory. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You are my beloved daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are with us, that the true story of the world is a story of the presence of God with his people, and that we will not end by escaping this world, but we will be here in the renewed creation with you, ruling and reigning. Help that to be the true picture of our very lives, that even all, that, all the way down to the minutiae of our lives, this will be ringing true. You are good. You are with us. You are glorious. You are beautiful. And you like us. And we thank you for all these things, not because of what we have done. We've done nothing to earn this and so we thank you that you've given us a free gift in the gospel and we pray in your precious and beautiful and powerful and holy name jesus amen